0: You're listening to In Technology, your source for trends about security, sustainability, and technology.
1: We are seeing some examples of organized fraud, actual organizations with structure that have multiple lines of fraud business in their portfolio, and buy not pay later schemes being a new opportunity for them to commit their fraud and make their money. Hi, and welcome to the In Technology
2: Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Garrison, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Camille. How are you doing today, Camille?
0: I'm doing well today, Tom.
2: Our listeners did not get the benefit of hearing me stumble through that introduction, even though I've done it like a hundred times now, but that was uh, that was laughable.
0: We have to have a bloopers reel someday, I, you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a lot of bleeps in that blooper reel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so today we're gonna jump into the world of credit and what does credit mean both on an individual level and then we're gonna go to the near cousin of credit which is reputation for companies and I think it's a pretty interesting topic
0: yeah I had honestly never heard the term synthetic identity before this um, and I think I've got you know new levels of fear. As I log into accounts, um, it was very interesting to hear, you know, how careful you really need to be, and of course how artificial intelligence is being used on both sides of the equation. Once again, both to you know perpetrate fraud and also to discover likely fraud.
2: That's right. Yeah, technology doesn't know good or bad. It's how is technology used, and and, and in this case, it's being used on both sides, like you pointed out. Yeah, I I think. Um, uh, certainly in the, the age that we find ourselves in, which is like that instant gratification, you know buying stuff right now and maybe some people that don't necessarily have the credit to be able to do that in traditional ways now with this this buy now pay later model introduces a whole new set of challenges and then companies that are just trying to do marketing outreach to their customers directly, they as a company can be exploited by these fraudsters and and you know stealing stuff from the customers and and using it to make money it's it's kind of scary on both sides
0: yeah really just the sheer number of online purchases that are occurring where people are entering credentials just really you know has captivated this market and turned it into it, its own thing
2: yeah well let's jump right into it what do you say yeah We have two guests today. Our first is Jim Ducharme. He is a COO at Outseer. Jim is responsible for product strategy and leads the associated product management and engineering teams at Outseer. Our second guest is Armin Najarian. Armin is a 15-year Silicon Valley veteran with deep experience leading the marketing functions for fast-growing fraud prevention, predictive analytics, and cybersecurity companies. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. So we want to talk about two different topics with you guys today and just cover quite a bit of ground, actually. And so the first area that I want to spend some time on is this buy now, pay later trend that's going on in the market space and what sort of threats exist in that world. So can you first just describe what is this buy now, pay later and then we'll get to the threats here in a moment.
3: Yeah, so you've probably seen, uh, you know, as you shop online, uh, buy now, pay later is just yet another way to pay when you go shopping. So in the past, you know, when you're checking out, you might see it putting your credit card here. But now you see buy now, pay later, which allows you to take a purchase and put it on basically an installment plan, pay in three installments, nine installments, whatever it may be. Um, so it's just a new way to pay. So we at OutSeer look at this as, as yet another form of a, an emerging digital payment that is ripe for fraudsters to take advantage of as yet another way to, to steal your money. So that's what we spend our time looking at is, is what are the ways in which fraudsters can take advantage of these new digital payments like buy now, pay later to commit fraud.
2: So yeah, I'm aware of the buy now, pay later. I think most of us have seen that when we make purchases. But I wonder from your perspective, obviously, you're thinking about cybercrime. Can you walk through the basics of where there is various threats and what those are?
1: Yes, I'll take this. Uh, There's risk and then there's threats. Um, The inherent risk with the buy now, pay later model is inherently when you're offering this new form of credit that's unregulated today, uh, it exposes opportunities for, for people that might not have the wherewithal to pay to actually take on this credit. And so there's inherent credit risk sometimes referred to as first-party fraud or friendly fraud, where I, as a consumer, I might not have a steady job, but I have the opportunity to buy some items on effectively an installment plan. Doesn't affect my credit today. I might do it, and lo and behold, six months later, I might not be in a position to pay. So there's that inherent credit risk that exists. In fact, just last week, um, Afterpay, which is the Australian-based Buy Now Pay Later platform that was acquired by Square last year, did announce that... They had a massive shortfall due to unplanned credit risk um, that actually came to fruition. So that's one type of risk that exists in this in this you know this new payment instrument world called installment payments or buy not pay later.
2: So for that one, the risk is actually to the vendors.
1: Well, let's talk about it. The merchant, so the merchant, the, the yeah. beauty of the model from a merchant perspective is they get paid instantly. Because oftentimes, there's a third-party buy-now-pay-later provider behind the scenes that's effectively buying the transaction from the merchant. So the merchants generally like this because they get paid, they reduce their risk out of the gate. They'll take a little bit of a hit um, because we're getting kind of the guaranteed payment up front. But the risk is being borne by typically the buy-now-pay-later platforms like Afterpay and Klarna and several others out there that, that are dominating this space. Okay, got it, got it, okay. The fraud that we're starting to see orchestrated are really two flavors. One is your traditional account takeover fraud, right? So as a consumer, I have an account, someone steals my credentials, they log into my Afterpay account, they begin executing transactions, uh, unbeknownst to me, um, effectively buying transactions using Klarna's, you know, installment payment plans. I don't discover this for a few months. So there's that type of fraud that exists and um, it's very, very real. The other type of fraud we're seeing is synthetic identity fraud, where a new account is created that borrows bits of data from maybe an authentic human, but bits of data that are kind of contrived to create this new identity, a person that doesn't really exist, and establishes effectively credit with one of these buy now pay later platforms and begins transacting and buying a whole bunch of goods and services, and then all of a sudden disappears when the installment payments are due.
2: The perpetrators of this fraud. Are they nation state type people? Are, are they
3: teenagers? Or who, Who's doing this? This could be basically anybody from you know local teenagers to professional fraudsters that are creating a whole supply chain of, of basically stolen goods. We tend not to see this as sort of nation state actors committing this, but more nefarious, typical identity thieves, illegitimate transactions, things like that.
1: And we are seeing some examples of organized fraud so not nation state but like actual organizations with structure that have multiple lines of fraud business in their portfolio and you know buy not pay later schemes being a new opportunity for them to you know commit their fraud and make their money
0: but in this case the goal is to actually end up with the goods right rather than stealing identity or stealing credentials or stealing bank account information that was sort of your the second example you gave but in this case it's actually to end up with a good from a merchant, say,
1: I would just quickly say the ultimate goal is to end up with the money. So if they have access to the goods, they can sell those goods, you know, and transfer those goods. May never even take possession of
3: those goods. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, we see on the dark web with our fraud analysts all the time these online shopping stores that you can buy goods and services from for you know 90 percent off. And again, to Armin's point. Some of these goods may be obtained through threat vectors of buy now, pay later, right? They use buy now, pay later to get the merchandise, shove it through a supply chain, and, and ultimately they want to end up with the, with the money. Interesting. So w-
2: without obviously going into too many details, how do you prevent this nefarious actor, whether it's the creating identities that aren't real people or you know stealing legitimate people's information?
3: Yeah, so our, our products uh, for decades have been designed around looking for transactional fraud, and we've seen new types of identities born and new types of transactions happen. But essentially, we use information about the transaction and about other transactions that we see in, in the world to look for basically the level of trust or risk associated with a particular transaction. So when you talk about things like synthetic identities or even stealing somebody's identities, you know, is this Armin Nigerian, right? We want to do some level of verification that it's him. Is he in a location that we typically see? Is it device centric? Is this his his spending patterns, et cetera? The new twist with buy now, pay later, as Armin pointed out, is many times you're shopping for the first time with one of these buy now, pay later instruments, right? As opposed to using your credit card where you have an established relationship with your bank, So you're almost establishing credit right then. And so that's where this sort of notion of synthetic identity or even just stolen identity comes in. So we have to do a level of identity verification, identity assurance to make sure it actually is Armin. Beyond just we have an existing relationship like you might with your bank, we actually have to make sure that this is the first time I'm meeting Armin. Is this actually Armin? And so our risk engine comes in and takes into play uh, hundreds of, of data points as part of the transaction and our ecosystem to do verification that this is indeed Armin and this is a legitimate transaction from Armin. So that's what our risk engine and our capabilities are all about. And it applies perfectly to buy now, pay later.
1: We live in a digital world. Decisions must be made in the moment. and And so really the challenge is, and the opportunity is, These are real-time decisions, 100 milliseconds or less. Like, Tom, you press the buy button on your favorite shopping site. Within 100 milliseconds behind the scenes is when this is happening. To Jim's point, it's risk-based decisioning. Now, the reality is 95% of all transactions are totally legitimate from authentic customers just wanting to buy their goods and services. And so we don't want to stand in the way of Tom wanting to get what he wants Or or Camille wanted to get what she wants, right? We want to treat you well. We don't want to step you up to a challenge question or subject you to, you know, additional hurdles to get what you need to get done. However, five percent of the transactions are either suspect or outright fraud, and it's knowing which of those five percent are suspect or legitimate fraud and doing something about it in the moment. And and therein lies science and risk decisioning in the moment. And and you know, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. But that's what's happening behind the scenes after you click the buy button or the pay button. Um, there's sophisticated commands and so- sophisticated algorithms working behind the scenes to thread bits of data together to make a judgment call whether Tom should be trusted or the person purporting to me, Camille, should be trusted.
0: I assume you're using algorithms. Maybe you're using uh, machine learning models or artificial intelligence to kind of Iterate and keep up. Uh, by the same token, are you seeing? Uh, we'll just say the bad guys, you know, cr- use AI and other sorts of um, algorithms to create the synthetic IDs, large numbers of them. And can you talk a little bit about you know, that kind of back and forth and how that's working?
3: Yeah, so, so we do use artificial intelligence and machine learning because the fraudsters are always manipulating how they take advantage of fraud. In particular, this is important because for those financial institutions that don't use that and have more of a rigid policy-based fraud detection model. For example, you know, some banks may use if if you're in the same geo, same region that you live in. And so Armin may be traveling, he's in New York, he's from California, they may look at it and go, hey, Armin's very far away from his home, it appears. That transaction seems suspect. Well, the fraudsters are onto these sort of static policy-based piece, so we have to really look at behavioral patterns and how that shifts over time. We see everything from fraudsters change the the transaction value. So rather than go steal the three thousand uh, dollar TV, we'll go steal a hundred nine dollar pieces of goods because it flies under the radar. So by using artificial intelligence and more importantly machine learning, we can watch for these trends. And the machine learning will actually tell us where the oddness is coming in, where that pattern is shifting, and, and we can adapt quickly to that.
2: Yeah, this is interesting stuff. I, I mentioned at the uh, beginning here we wanted to cover two different uh, topics, and so I'm going to switch gears a little bit and switch over to – so we, we've been talking about sort of identity fraud and this this transaction fraud, but if we can move now over to brands, so companies – that are out there as well-established companies and using, you know, services around making sure people aren't impersonating them. Can you talk through that aspect
1: of the business as well? Yeah. yeah. So there's an epidemic taking place with brands that are being impersonated for the purpose of achieving two outcomes. One, financial gain, and then two, spreading misinformation. And any brand is subject to this type of attack. These attacks are often um, very difficult to detect and can cause a lot of damage with the end consumer by either stealing credentials or stealing data um, or spreading information or stealing money. And they also negatively affect the brand and the reputation of that brand. They're vicious. They're quick hitting. They can cause a lot of damage, yet they can be stopped. And can you give an
2: example? I don't know if there's one that's been in the news or something that that would help our listeners sort of understand the, the damage or what, what an attack like this might look like.
1: And if not, just make one up, either one. Yeah, so a classic attack, it's, it's a classic phishing attack. Let's just say you're, you're your favorite retail coffee shop and you're part of the loyalty program and you might get an email saying, hey, you've got some points um, added to your account, go check them out, you know, special day today. Um, So an innocent consumer receives that message, they click through, they log into their loyalty program account or what they think is their loyalty program account, and then the damage is done. Effectively, their credentials have just been stolen, and so this happens time and time again. What's happening on the back end is a look-alike website has been created with a look-alike domain that maybe sounds and feels like the authentic website, like the name itself, the URL itself, and certainly the design for that login page, looks exactly like what you would see on the authentic brand's website. And consumers aren't always vigilant looking out for these signals that, hey, this actually might be illegit. Um, But once that consumer takes the bait, they log in, their credentials are stolen. And so there's the value right there for the fraud actor is to steal those credentials. Or in some cases, the fraud actor can take those credentials, log into the authentic account, maybe swipe the points, or use those same set of credentials and log into other accounts or sell those credentials, right, on the secondary market.
0: I would imagine it would be difficult to locate this because, like you said before, you can just modify, keep the artwork the same or the graphics the same, and then modify the URL ever so slightly. And you could just keep changing it, keep changing it, and keep changing it so that, you know, when you're chasing it down, you don't even know what to look for, what you're going after.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely true. So that's why you have to have a multi-pronged approach to how do you prevent this? How do you make it effective? So so let's say somebody is victim to that, right? That's why we put these controls uh, on the legitimate usage of these systems. So as Armin said, like the point system that you may be using or even your bank. Now that somebody's coming in with your credentials, is it actually you? And so that's where a lot of the machine learning you, is this your normal behavior? Is this when you usually access your account? Is this usually the behavior that you that you do So that provides some level of effective control around when somebody steals your credentials. So it's not like, you know, with these effective controls, if somebody just has your username and password, we can still think that that's a suspect transaction. But as we talked about before, you know, fraudsters are onto this, that look, sometimes just having somebody's username and password isn't enough because of these artificial intelligence machine learning controls behind the scenes. So now what we actually see them doing is... Actually doing remote access. So they may call up and I may pretend to say, you know, Hey, Camille, I'm, I'm Jim from uh, your wealth management company and we think there's something going wrong with your computer. We want to walk you through it to protect your account. Would you allow us to log into your computer and we'll walk you through how to fix this? And, and what's happening is now they're committing fraud from your home, from your device, using many times your fingertips uh, to log into your account. And they're, and they're diverting it that way, or even just getting in enough to put malware on your account. So at least it looks like, again, what they're trying to do now is rather than just steal credentials, they're actually trying to impersonate the signal or the data that many of these fraud systems are using to understand, is this actually Camille?
0: So in that case, multi-factor authentication doesn't help because I'm just going to go ahead and do that myself and help the fraudster. Yeah,
3: That's exactly right yeah but but there we can look at things like what are you doing with the transaction? So we actually look at it may actually be you. you may you may be unwittingly doing a, a bad transaction. And so we'll look at even if you're going to do a wire transfer, for example, to transfer money someplace, we'll look and go, well we, we know that's a, a mule account. So we'll actually look at the entire transaction, not just making sure it's you, but again, do you typically transfer to this location, or as I said, with our global data network, we can no, no, we know there was committed fraud of people sending money from here to there. Uh, so we have to look at the whole thing, not just strong authentication MFA. That's an important part of the puzzle, but it's only one piece of how fraud is committed. Yep. So Camille, you had asked
1: about you know the creation of these phishing domains. And, you know, can would just go out and kind of buy, you know, a, a bunch of lookalike domains that kind of all resemble one another. So that happens, um, you know, versions of the same phishing website are set up that all look the same, that have slightly different URLs. We have detection capabilities to detect exactly that, right, to look for the presence of what are called lookalike domains or cousin domains. But that's typically the origin of these brand abuse attacks is a one of these lookalike websites are set up, whether it's the login page to get to your loyalty account or a page with information on it and it's really detecting the presence of those assets, of those pages that you know are illegitimate and knowing that, you know, with certainty that, that those should not exist. Um, that's where it all starts and how to take down these attacks. Well this is very fascinating. So the scary as heck
2: to be honest with you, because I can see how difficult it would be to protect against both of these kinds of attack. The the buy now pay later is a huge challenge, technical challenge, as well as the uh, brand identity issues. So great topic. But before we let you go, we do have one more segment that we would like to do on our podcast, which is called Fun Facts. And so I'll start maybe with Jim. Do you have any cool fun fact that you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: Yeah, well, I think this one's a little timely because I, uh, Elon Musk has been in the news lately. And, and I, I saw this a couple weeks ago and it, it said, If you want to appreciate how much money Elon Musk has, it says, if you were born in 80,000 BC, (laughs) 80,000, so over 82,000 years ago, and you save $10,000 a day, you still would not have as much money as Elon Musk. Wow. So that's a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is a lot. I've never heard that before. That's,
2: that's cool. Uh, Armin, how about you?
1: So I am thinking about vacations for this year and like exotic locales and you know one place I've always wanted to visit was Easter Island. So I started researching Easter Island. We've all seen those big figures that have been carved out of stone, those mysterious figures. And so I started researching those and it turns out, you know, what we see in the images in some cases is literally just the tip of the iceberg. There are some of those figures that have actually been determined to actually go down like 30 or more feet below the ground with full bodies. Um, I don't think many people realize that. And it just adds to the mystery and the intrigue of how the heck were these things even created and and you know erected and moved to their locations? It's just um, it, it takes what made a mystery even more mysterious.
2: Cool. Camille.
0: Yeah, I uh, enlisted some friends to help with fun facts. And uh, unfortunately, this is more of a horrifying fact, but I'm going to read it anyway, because I think that people should be aware, at least there were. Oregon Black Exclusion Laws, in effect, starting in the late 1800s, that actually made it illegal for Black people to live in Oregon for more than two or three years. Um, And they came off the books in 1925, which seems shockingly late. Uh, And I guess the, the very final reference to them didn't come off the books until 2002. So you can look it up for more information.
2: Wow. Yikes. I didn't. I've never heard that. Hard to believe. Wow. Uh, well, I'm going to go much uh, lighter in tone. The first McDonald's drive-through was installed in a restaurant in Sierra Vista, Arizona, located near a local military base. The military rules forbade the soldiers from wearing their military uniforms in public, and they weren't going to go change to their civilian clothes just to go grab a burger. So the restaurant manager named David Rich came up with a solution. He cut a hole in the wall and allowed members of the military to to pick up their orders without stepping out of their car. And the convenience and the simplicity of the idea quickly caught on. That's innovation right there. Changed the world right there. Hmm. All right. Well, hey, Jim and Armin, thank you so much for coming in. It was a topic we hadn't covered yet over all the episodes, and and I think both Camille and I found it fascinating. So thanks for sharing. Thank you, Camille and Tom. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys.
0: Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology, and follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening.
1: The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.